And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg, joined as always in Zoom conference by the Athletics Mets beat writer, Tim Britton. Tim, we speak on Monday in the early afternoon after a series that was, uh, for for a lot of it, uh, for a very condensed three games in two days uh, against the, the crosstown rival Yankees in the Bronx, uh, two very exciting games for the Mets, and then one that leaves us with a sort of a not the best taste in our mouths. Yeah, you know, it, it, the Mets could have swept the Yankees at Yankee Stadium for the first real time. Because you go back to like 2008, they won all three games at Yankee Stadium, but it was like they won two, and then there was a rainout, and the third game was played two months later, and Carlos Delgado drove in a thousand runs in that game. But it was the first game of a doubleheader, and the Mets lost at, at City Field later at Shea, I guess, Shea, later that night. So that didn't feel like a sweep. This one would have felt more like a sweep. Uh, they didn't get there because of Nestor Cortez Jr.'s weird delivery uh, and Chad Green pitching, uh, having one of the best relief appearances uh, that I've, I've seen in, in quite some time. Uh, three perfect innings for the Yankees out of the bullpen when they really needed it. Uh, so, you know, you, I wanted to, after that that first game Sunday, and, you know, after the way they hit Saturday, after they played the first game Sunday, to really tout the Mets offense, like looking the way it, was expected to at the beginning of the year. They got mm-hmm. Brandon Nimmo back, and Nimmo, like, you know, first at bat in two months, single to right, sparked the offense from the start on Saturday. Uh, but they were shut down a little bit on Sunday night, and now you're going into a series against Milwaukee where you're going to, to face Brandon Woodruff, a, an all-star starter on Monday, and Corbin Burns, an all-star starter on Wednesday. Uh, so it seems like maybe not the best time to be like the offense is healed. Everything's going to be great moving forward against these very good pitchers. Can I say like, I, I maybe the offense is healed and everything is going to be okay moving forward. I just thought, you know, yeah, it's one game and, and Cortez was so, it's just like such a different look that I don't know you it's it's hard it's like almost like facing a knuckleballer like I want to know so much more about this guy's deal now especially with the mustache combined with the all the weird delivery herks and jerks but you feel like oh like can you can I kill them for for struggling against this guy and and look it's uh, if this was so effective for Nestor Cortez Jr., he wouldn't be a curiosity. He'd be a household name, right? So uh, on one hand, you say, like, well, other people seem to be able to hit this guy. Uh, but I don't know. Can you give them a pass for, for something so funky? Ted, you cannot give the Mets a pass for anything. No. Um, the the seven-inning games kind of mess with the math a little bit because, you know, Cortez can do what he did for, like, three and a third innings, right? And mm. they, they took him out, and Darren O'Day promptly gave up the the, the two-run homer to, to Pete Alonso. Uh, and, you know, if that game is a nine-inning game, uh, it's just the, the, the way it plays out is very different. And so uh, I think it is more a credit to the Mets uh, what they did in the first game in, in driving up Garrett Cole's pitch count, especially during that fourth inning, getting him out of the game in the fourth inning. Um, and and then beating Araldis Chapman in the seventh. I know those guys have both struggled of late, but it's still, you know, you, you prefer to see uh, the team hitting those guys well and, and having a good approach against them. I think it's more a credit what they did in that game than a, a, a penalty or a, uh, whatever the opposite of credit is uh, in the second game with Cortez and then Green. Because, you know, for, for a large half of that game, almost half of that game, they faced uh, a very good reliever pitching very well. A uh, knock, so, maybe? Would we say like a knock yes, as the opposite yeah, of credit? Yeah. It's, it's too, you know, it's only afternoon on Monday. It's too early for me to think about words. I'm not a writer. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and I think 
you saw, like, I, I looked at those fourth and seventh innings on Sunday as this is what the offense was meant to be like. It's supposed to be uh, a, a that train that keeps moving, you know, passing the baton to the next guy, having good plate appearance after good plate appearance. Uh, even uh, the strikeouts, are, they're five or six pitch strikeouts and not three pitch strikeouts. Sure, having an immaculate inning several hours later, I've pitched against you, goes against that a little bit. But again, credit over knock. Uh, in both of those innings, you saw and the Mets batted around in both. You saw contributions from different parts of the lineup uh, in both. You had Jose Peraza coming off the bench uh, for the biggest hit of that game uh, to left field. So you, you saw like the Mets planned on having a deep lineup that was difficult to pitch to over long stretches of time. And even when they weren't producing in the early part of the season, when they were healthy, you saw that in theory, like, you you know, Pitchers were not, starters were not going deep against them at that point in the season uh, because they were their pitch counts were getting ratcheted up. You remember like the start against Aaron Nola uh, very early in the year when he I think he threw close to 100 pitches in under five innings against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that was what their lineup was designed to do, and it hasn't done it uh, because of injuries and because of underperformance in the last several months. Uh, but you saw a little bit of it on Sunday, and so it'll be interesting to see how it plays against two guys who have been very good and and largely efficient in Woodruff, especially, and Burns. Uh, and then uh, how it plays then after that in four games against a, a rotation that is not very good uh, in the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, I mean, I I want to believe, I've I've wanted to believe this whole season that, it, that the offense is now, like, here it is, it's ready. I feel good when I see a lineup when, in which Michael Conforto, struggling though he, he is and has been this season when he's been healthy, if he's batting six, like that's a that's a good situation for an offense. Uh, Lindor is right now. I think we can say like safely, like since the start of June, he has pretty much hit like Francisco Lindor. The stat line isn't there yet because he hasn't yet made up for two of the whatever it was, two of the four worst months of his entire career uh, to start the season. Uh, Tom Smith has been hitting. Alonzo's hitting home runs. Like it just feels. I have so much more faith in just about every guy, even the same guys, even, right, like, I've, I just feel so much better about Dom Smith coming up to the plate now than I did when he was coming up to the plate a month and a half ago. Uh, and and James McCann, like, just, just really, again, up and down the lineup. Uh, and then there's the news that, that uh, J.D. Davis might be on the way back. Yeah, so you might be, you know, Jonathan VR was back on Sunday night. Uh, you've got Davis coming back probably sometime this week uh, and, and maybe even the earlier part of the week. So that just puts them in a, a situation where, like, uh, the guys who were starting for a long period of time in mid-May to mid-June uh, are now, like, the last guys on the roster. You know, you bring J.D. Davis back, like, they have to decide uh, who is the other uh, casualty on the roster among the position players. Do you go with a five-man bench like they did early in the season, uh, or do you stick it with four, in which case you're sending down uh, someone like uh, Luis Guillorme or, you know, hoping that Jose Peraza will accept an option to Syracuse when he doesn't have to because he's got five years of service time. Uh, so those are like roster decisions they have coming up. And, and that just makes you feel better about the overall uh, depth that they've built that they had to tap way into much more than they expected to at the start of the season, uh, but which has gotten them to uh, a week shy of the All-Star break in first place uh, and feeling pretty good about themselves. I, you know, I got to say, I think there's a, a there is a case like, you know, if you just look at the numbers, like there's a, there's a good case for for uh, at some point, you know, parting ways with with Jose Peraza if the team gets gets healthy enough. But uh, just from this season, like and, and again, like it's it's all just perception um, and and I guess good timing. It just feels like Peraza has gotten so many big hits and uh, another one on on Sunday uh that it's it's gonna sting it's gonna sting when like and and i think i feel like you know i I have this fantasy of like someday watching the 2021 mets world series video and in like the season montage there will be like several highlights where it's jose peraza and you'll be like oh yeah jose peraza was like a big part of that team for four months of the year, uh, but I want to talk about the Brewers just just a little wait, bit. Because wait, 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 I just I just want to I just want to add some Peraza context here. So his his on base percentage for the season is two sixty four. It's not uh, good, which, which isn't very good. His OPS for the season six fifty five. But if you look well, at the splits on base, 
You look at his splits on on Baseball Reference. The while Ted Berg watches OPS, <laughs> no, the the low leverage, low leverage situations, two thirty three on base, five fourteen OPS. Medium leverage, two twenty four on base, five fifty eight OPS. High leverage, so that's that's twenty his twenty most important plate appearances. He's seven for eighteen with three doubles, two home runs, ten RBIs, three eighty nine batting average, four fifty on base. 1339 OPS. So like that the feeling he's you pitching have to the is like, store. Man, man, it seems like he he comes up big when when they need him. Uh that that's been the case so far. He has been uh, I think that makes him their most clutch hitter. Even so, though like, he, I, even though technically two outs runners in scoring position only hitting 267. So we can we can still we still have a bone to pick with his timing. I don't believe this at all, but I think the Mets should should keep him to just be oh and and just reserve him. For like, like, and it's like, oh, bottom of the ninth, uh, two on, two out, and Pete Alonso is coming up. No, he's not. <laughs> Jose Peraza is coming up because that's my big hits guy. Uh, don't do that. They shouldn't do that. He's, uh, <laughs> he is everything. He is everything that fans think Patrick Mazika is. <laughs> right, right. Um, I mean, but and and good beard. He's got a really good beard. Better. I'm, no disrespect to Patrick Mazika's beard, but. It's a better beard, Peraza's got. Uh, Brandon Woodruff has been, I would say, like, if there's a, a case for anyone other than DeGrom winning the NL Cy Young, it's it's Brandon Woodruff this year, which probably isn't what people necessarily expect. Um, but, man, he has been dominant. The Brewers, in general, have gotten great starting pitching, as you mentioned. Also, a really solid bullpen. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's the first time in their franchise history they've had three pitchers going to the All-Star game in Woodruff, Burns, and Josh Hader. And, you know, I, I think there's probably a, a above 50% chance that when we get all the alternates through that Freddie Peralta is going to go there as well. He pitched yeah, he pitched on Sunday for Milwaukee, so the Mets will miss him in this series. But that's they've got three starters with a whip under one, uh, which is, is pretty good. Uh, and Woodruff's whip is almost as low as Hader's. Uh, he's at 0. 0.782. Like, you know, the non-Jacob deGrom division of the National League, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's Woodruff, it's Kevin Gosman, and Zach Wheeler, uh, along with Burns, probably. Those are probably the four guys you think of uh, rounding out the top five of the Cy Young balloting at this point behind deGrom uh, in whatever order you want to put it. And, and what I think you like about Woodruff, if you're a Brewers guy, a Brewers fan, uh, is that he he goes deep into games uh, pretty consistently. He's averaging more than than six per st- six innings per start, which is a lot of guys aren't doing it. I think Wheeler is like the the paragon of that in the National League at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, you know th- that he's a guy who uh, takes the ball, goes deep, and hands it to your good relievers. Uh, and they've got you know even beyond Hader, whose ERA is under one, uh, you've got a whole host of of relievers that. Uh, Craig Council seems to always deploy in the best possible way. Uh, and this is if, you know, the Brewers, they won 11 in a row until they lost on Sunday. Uh, and they've really put some, dis- you know, put some serious distance between themselves and the rest of the NL Central. The Cubs have lost nine in a row. So that, <laughs> you know, they, they went from a tie to a like an, a nine game lead over them pretty quickly. Uh, and there, it seems like, you know, if the Mets are going to win the National League East, uh, th- this would be the team they see in the division series, probably, uh, would be the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, and that would make for uh, a really fun series of starting pitching. Because like, even this week, uh, you've got an all-star on Monday in Woodruff, an all-star on Tuesday in DeGrom, an all-star on Wednesday in Burns. Probably three of the, the five best pitchers in the National League will be pitching at City Field over the next three days. And on... And- on Wednesday's game, the Mets will send the uh, whatever year it was, like 2009 time person of the year uh, in that whatever year it was that they, it was just a mirror because we don't know who it's going to be, right? There's a, The Mets still have some uh, a lot of uncertainty at the back of the rotation, although I'll say uh, Corey Oswald looked pretty good. You know, not a long start, and again, like three runs and four innings doesn't sound great. Uh, but it's Yankee Stadium. It's a good lineup, and it's a guy sort of like still in the process of stretching out. Is that a can he fit in the back of the rotation for a little while? You know, we didn't have this podcast in 2018, and, and we probably have more people who read my writing about the Mets now than than then. Uh, because in in late 2018, I was all on the like Corey Oswald can be an okay fifth starter bandwagon. It was it was a small bandwagon, probably because it. it was not that hot a take um and not the one that really gets a passionate following this can guy this uh, guy but, could be yeah the, the old that's like that's what lights up the airwaves is can this guy be a, an okay fifth starter 
you know, when I when I would tweet things like that, I wasn't getting calls from FAN to defend my take or anything like that. Uh, so I, you know, I think you look at what he did in, in 2018 and it was ba- it's so hard as a, the, the shuffle guy between AAA uh, and the majors. Uh, especially, like it's, it's hard enough on a bullpen guy. It's, it's really hard on starters uh, because oftentimes like you're not starting on your day when you get your major league start. It's, it's like, oh, I got called up four days ago. I've sat for four days. I've warmed up once for maybe long relief, and now I've got to go out and start uh, against the New York Yankees or something like that. Uh, and so when, when Oswald has had like a normal routine, he's pitched quite well in the major leagues. Um, when he's been jerked around a little bit, it's been harder for him to pitch well, uh, as it is for a lot of guys. So I, I think that give you know that is the reason I, I think that he can be serviceable. Does him pitching the way he did on Sunday change the way I feel about the Mets acquiring another starter at the deadline? Of course not. You know, David Peterson's going to be out for a while. It's an oblique injury. They said uh, it could take up to eight weeks, but they think sooner. Um, Mets fans' general experience with injuries would suggest. To, to expect eight plus yeah. weeks, uh, and and that's and oblique injuries in general, always I can't say in general always, uh, in general take longer uh, than you think because whenever you you feel like you're just about ready, you do something and it, it hurts again. So we might want to yeah think, maybe maybe teams should just adjust their timelines that they get for oblique injuries at this point. I mean, it, we've seen it with Tommy John surgery where you, it was like yeah it was nine to twelve months and now it's twelve to eighteen. Right. Uh, we see teams being more cautious with that. You know, like Luis Guillorme's oblique injury didn't seem like that big a deal, uh, and it, it took a while. Uh, so uh, with, with Peterson out, you know, Tyler McGill has pitched well through two starts. We'll see him again on Monday night. Uh, but it, not so well that, again, that changes the way you feel about acquiring another starter. They, the Mets did say that Carlos Carrasco could be back by late July or early August, maybe in a position where... He's not like fully worked his way up in terms of innings through the minor leagues, but is, is making like three and four inning starts for the Mets at the major league level. I'm a little leery of that idea uh, just because things can go wrong more quickly uh, in that, mm-hmm. that fashion. Uh, it's tough to build up innings in the major leagues uh, because sometimes you have bad outings and you get pulled in the first inning or something like that. Or you get yelled at when you throw three perfect innings and 27 pitches and, and you've got to come out of the game because that was the buildup. Uh, so... Uh, but you know, in terms of looking at this rotation, how Oswald pitched on Sunday, good news, at least in the short term, how McGill has pitched good news, at least in the short term, those mm-hmm. look like they're, they're going to be your four and five guys. I have no idea who's going to pitch on Wednesday. If it's Nick Tropiano, I guess is, is the next guy in line. Uh, he was the 27th man on Sunday, didn't pitch, uh, but he's on the 40 man roster. Uh, we saw Thomas Zapucky last week, didn't pitch very well. Uh, and I, I don't know that he'd. I don't think he'd be able to be called back up in time unless they put someone on the injured list. Uh, they could try to bullpen it again, which they've done a couple times. Uh, but uh, in the short term, you've got some options who have pitched well in those fourth and fifth spots, but I still think you need to add at least uh, another starter between now and July 30th. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, I want to talk about trade stuff a little more in a second, but first, briefly, an aside related to that. Why wouldn't a team, if you were running a team, wouldn't you just like always wildly overshoot your injury estimates? Be like, yeah, David Peterson's like probably out for the year now. And then if he comes back in eight weeks, be like, oh, like, can you believe it? Like, he healed so quickly. Our medical staff does such a great job. All of these guys just keep 
like defying our expectations like sort of like the way airlines like always tell you the flight is going to be an hour longer than it really takes and then like we made up time in the air um so now you're okay with having to taxi for 45 minutes uh why i mean like why not do that why not just be like yeah he's he's done this guy's every time a guy like oh like this guy jammed his finger he's toast he's done for the year and then if he comes back in 10 days wow it's like a miracle you know like you can't, who knew our hand specials are unbelievable you know, usually you you posit like ridiculous ideas, and I explain like very rationally why they they don't happen. This one, I don't have one. I don't have a rational explanation Dude, why teams don't ever- do this. I like, uh, you know, I remember with the with the Mets, the you know, the first year I covered them was two thousand nine, and that was the year where like every injury spiraled out of control. Like Jose Reyes was going to be on the the then disabled list for fifteen days mm-hmm. and missed four and a half months, uh, and Carlos Delgado was going to be out like a month and missed four and a half months, uh, and that just kept happening to them. And I thought like. You know, there's a there's a very short term way of dealing with injuries, which is don't worry, this isn't a big deal, we'll be fine. Uh, and then what happens generally is when the player doesn't return, uh, it's the player's fault, uh, right? And uh, yeah. everyone gets mad at the player for taking. You know, this was only supposed to be three weeks. Why is it taking uh, six weeks or two months? Uh, the player must be dogging it or something like that. And I've never liked the way. Uh, that uh, players bear the brunt of that. Like Jacoby Ellsbury in Boston mm-hmm. uh, was misdiagnosed and they like missed a broken rib and fans hated him for years because he, he missed a lot of time with a, an undiagnosed broken rib. Uh, and it's that that's always bothered me and I don't understand why teams don't take the long end of things. And if a guy comes back before that, that's great and people might like the player more. Like, you know, you think of guys like uh, Marcus Stroman and Kyle Schwarber coming back from ACL injuries ahead of schedule and, and what that meant to their teams and their fan bases when they did that for the playoffs in those seasons. Or even like Robinson Cano in 2019 coming back from, uh, I think it was a hamstring or a quad injury like three weeks before anyone thought he was going to come back and mm-hmm. playing pretty well down the stretch for that team. Uh, Robinson has, probably no longer has any goodwill from the fan base, uh, but did for a brief period of time because of that. So uh, I don't, it's a, to, to it's answer a your question, to, I don't know. We mint heroes here. You know, like this, this is, is we're, we're in the business of myth-making. Like, let's just have all of the Mets be these like incredible healers. You know, in... I guess in practical terms, one reason like you don't want, especially in the month of July, you don't want teams to think that you're uh, like desperate for pitching. Uh, You know, you might say like, oh, David Peterson, he's going to be out like 10 days because we think he can. He's fine. We don't need that other starter that much. Um, But uh, that that might be. Yeah, but it's only going to be one year. It's only going to be one year before the other teams catch on that. You're like (laughs) constantly saying like pure lies about your injury uh, expectations. Right. So then now you're in their heads. Right. Like now they're like, oh, we don't know. We're like they are saying David Peterson's out for for the rest of the season. But like we can't honestly believe them because they pulled that same act last year. Like, do are they do they really want a starting pitcher or are they messing with us as like misdirection because they're trying to get our third baseman, which is my segue. Well, I was just going to say real, real quick that uh I think team the, the one thing I don't want to advocate for is teams taking the hockey approach and like not disclosing any you know not being like David Peterson is out uh, for some period of time with an upper body injury right and not disclosing any of that that would be very frustrating as a journalist to not know and 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 your your recommendation might be a slippery slope toward that a report uh, on on Mets blog or SMY.tv slash Mets as it's now known uh, from Andy Martino says that uh, he says this is a quote says, uh, I'm quoting Martino, not, he's not quoting someone else. The, the Mets are focusing on third base as the position to upgrade their struggling offense at the tra- trade deadline, according to league sources. The team is engaged in very preliminary talks with the Minnesota Twins, who might trade Josh Donaldson. Those conversations have not yet progressed, but Donaldson is a possibility for the Mets. He goes on to say they're also interested in Chris Bryant. Now, John Heyman uh, sort of uh, poured some water on this very... Uh, I would say like very, you know, he was Andy, Andy Martino didn't didn't oversell this this as like a as a rumor. Right. He just said it was very preliminary. Uh, John Heyman more or less conser- confirmed how very preliminary these talks are. But is there logic in trading for a guy like Josh Donaldson? Because he's a really good player. Uh, and, you know, uh, I think a, a guy Mets fans would 
for as long and, and for whenever he's healthy, just absolutely adore. He's just a, a really, just a charismatic guy in general, I think. Um, but also a guy who is signed through 2023 with a, with an, uh, a club option and a, and a fairly sizable buyout for 2024. Uh, he's in his mid thirties already. Do, is this the type of, like, could, could they given where they, and, and we know Steve Cohen can afford it. And we know, I don't think any one of us is trying to say, Oh, I don't want the Mets to spend money. I'd much rather Josh Donaldson have that money than Steve Cohen have that money. But we do know that the luxury tax is a factor. Um, and we do know that uh, there's a lot of uncertainty there as well, but Donaldson taking on this contract, does that mean, you know, you can't go after Conforto to extend, uh, that you can't try to extend Marcus Stroman or Noah Syndergaard or whichever whichever one of their pending free agents you're, you're looking at and you're, you're interested in uh, because you're taking on this commitment? Like, is this is this too much to do on behalf of this season? Yeah, like, I think um, it makes sense that third base is the spot you would look for for an offensive upgrade. I mean, we talked about it in the offseason. Uh, or maybe we didn't talk about it as much, but I wrote about it in the offseason uh, since our podcast didn't start till toward the end of the offseason, um, that uh, like that was the area, whether it was it was second base or third base, you'd play McNeil at the other. Uh, if you wanted to upgrade on a position player in the moment, that was where you would do it. Um, and, it, you know, if you believe, uh, that, you know, like you're not going to get a better offensive player probably than, than Dom Smith in left or Brandon Nimmo in center or Michael Conforto in right or McNeil at second, you know, every, everywhere else seems set. The Mets have gotten by with VR and, and JD Davis, I think he's only played 15 games. He's hit very well in those games. Um, but you know, is obviously the defensive liability that he's, he's been at third base. So that is where you would look. Um, and we've talked a lot about Bryant, uh, but Donaldson is, going to be a lot cheaper to acquire and you'd have him for longer, but I don't know about that contract. Cause it's, it's two years and 50 million after this year because he makes $21 million annually and it's an $8 million buyout at least. So it's two years and 50 or it's three years uh, and 58 uh, from this season going forward. Uh, and in terms of uh, a, against the luxury tax, it would be 21 million. It'd be, you know, about 7 million from the trade deadline on this year. Uh, and, uh, 21 million, uh, yeah, 20, 23, I guess, with, with the way it works uh, in terms of the, the guaranteed money, $23 million annually in 22 and 23. These numbers are all too similar um, for, for me to get straight. Uh, and he's like, he's a very good player when healthy. Uh, if you traded for him, uh, he'd be a right-handed power bat in the middle of your lineup. He would do for the Mets much what he did for the Braves uh, a couple years ago, uh, slotting in um, amidst some other left-handed hitters and giving you another really good right-handed bat alongside Alonzo. When he plays, I think the concern for me would be uh, mostly that, you know, this is a guy from his age 27 through his age 30 season. He played in 158, 158, 158, and 155 games those four years. Mm -hmm. uh, he won an MVP in there. He was, he was an all-star in three of them. Since then, so starting in 2017, so the last five seasons, he played in 113 out of 162, 52 out of 162, 155 his year in Atlanta where he was very good. Then it was 28 out of 60 last year. It's, it's 65 games so far this year. Added up. He's played about two-thirds of the time in the last five years. You'd be trading for him when he's 35 for his 36 and 37 age seasons. Uh, I just don't think that's worth it because you're, you're not, you know, whatever you deal for him is whatever you deal for him. It's not going to be nothing, but it also is the opportunity cost of getting someone else and whether that is bringing a Stroman back, bringing a Conforto back, I think, you know, if you're thinking the Mets have room for one or two major additions this offseason, this would be one of them. Uh, and you, you ask yourself, if, is that the best use of your resources uh, and, and upgrade potential? Uh, yeah, I mean, and it disappoints me to say it because as I as I probably made clear, I really like Donaldson. Like he's just the, he's one of my favorite players in the league. I think he's a seems like a, a pretty interesting guy. He has a lot of interesting things to say. He's very outspoken. He's uh, an electric player, even as a diminished defender at third base. He's just a guy who plays with like just so much energy. Um, but yeah, I I I feel like it would be something that would be ultimately frustrating. Um, I fear it happening with, with Carlos Carrasco as well, where it's like the Mets trade for this guy who's been a really good player in his twilight years and Mets fans like just all become uh, only aware of this guy as like the, 
more of an albatross than a, than a superstar. And so I don't, I don't, I don't want that to happen. Not that uh, John Donaldson is is anywhere close to that right now. He's having a great season, but uh, he is he's 35, and because we know they're not going to spend unlimited money uh, as much as we would like them to. I think I think you gotta. I think there are better upgrades to be had. If and if and I feel like if the Twins, if it was like such a cheap price that the Mets didn't have to give up any t- top prospects to to get Donaldson, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not convinced that the Twins are like gonna just like get sell off every single guy they have and and start over because that was a team with designs on contention when they signed Donaldson uh and it's and it's much the same team it just it's just sort of unraveled this year like if you look at the talent on that roster it's hard to figure out how they can't be much better especially in that division next season so I don't think they should or would give him up for nothing just for salary relief and so I don't know that it makes sense for the Mets yeah, I mean, I, I think there are two avenues where it could make sense, and and one is Minnesota uh, is is looks at him as uh, an albatross on their their payroll, and they want to you know they are willing to trade you Josh Donaldson and Jose Barrios at an, a lower price for Barrios if you take Donaldson back. I don't think the Twins would think that way. Uh, I don't think that would be the way they'd operate. But if that is on the table, uh, I think then you become more interested in it. And the second is well, if the Mets yeah, decide but to... Yes, I think to, if, if that's on the table, then a lot of teams are more interested yes, in it, right? Like, you know, yeah. there's a, what team wouldn't want the, the Donaldson-Burrios package? But but not as many teams are could be as willing to take on the $50 million to Donaldson fair, as, fair. as the Mets would be. Uh, and the second is if, if the Mets really decide to blow out their payroll. Uh, if they decide to be like the Dodgers at, at various junctures in the last decade, where it's it's like they're not just over the luxury tax, they are $40 million over the way L.A. is this year. Uh, and you say, you know, Josh Donaldson is not going to be uh, a 160-game third baseman for us, but he's going to be really good for the 100 to 110 games he plays for us. And we've got the depth because, we you know, we still have J.D. Davis or Jonathan VR or someone else to play those other 50 games that we can survive with that team. You know, the Dodgers have done that certainly in their their uh, pitching staff where they've had like Rich Hill for years was the guy like he's not going to make 30 starts, but he's mm-hmm. going to make 15 really good ones. And we've <laughs> got the we've got the financial wherewithal to pay him. Um, you know, a surplus for those 15 good ones, and we've got the depth to survive the 15 starts he doesn't make. That's one way of looking at it. Uh, you know, Carrasco might be in that vein for the Mets uh, over the next couple of years, depending on how uh, his body works. Um, but uh, they could take that same approach with it. It's harder with a position player because uh, they're a little harder to put on the IL for 10 days at a time, the way the Dodgers have done with their pitching yeah. pitching staff over the last several years. But that's that's one way of using their financial might is to sign those guys who it's really or, or to bring in those guys who, who make a lot of money. It's really hard to make your roster work for them, but you have the, the money to do it. We have a really good reader question about uh, how a uh, one way the Mets might use that that financial might. And uh, I want to get to that in just a second. But very briefly, you referenced uh, some all star selections earlier. The Mets to date have have one all star, and I think it is probably I haven't I haven't dug into it, but I, I would have to assume there are some Mets fans out there a little bit frustrated that that Taiwan Walker and Edwin Diaz and and probably Marcus Stroman as well were not uh, so so honored with the first round of all star nods. Should I be mad about this? Uh, I mean, uh, I am not here to. Uh, tell anyone what to be mad or not to be mad about, uh, especially in terms of baseball. Uh, so you can be, I mean, you can be mad that like VR isn't there if you want. Um, I, I think to me, if I were the Mets fan in this situation, I would just wait a couple days and see mm-hmm. uh, whether Walker got there uh, as an alternate, basically, because you know Degrom has already said he's not going to to pitch uh, in in Denver. Might not even go because he's pitching Sunday. Uh, Woodruff is is supposed to pitch Sunday, and so would not pitch. Uh, in the all-star game for Milwaukee. Uh, so that opens up at least two spots. Uh, and it, it happens to be that those teams both have uh, pretty good starting pitchers who are probably among the top guys who aren't going to the all-star game yet in Walker and Freddie Peralta. Would make sense for those guys to be the replacements. I think Kevin Gosman is also slated to go on Sunday, uh, in which case, uh, you know, the, the Giants might try to get like Anthony DiSclefani in, uh, Jersey guy. 
uh, as a, another person, uh, another pitcher in the All-Star game. Those are, you know, so I, I'm not going to get too bent up about snubs until there are actual snubs and we know who's going and who's not going to the, the game itself. Uh, I think, you know, we talked about it last week, I think, in, in terms of All-Stars, that, that Walker really seems like he deserves to go. It's hard to find the guy who's on the, the All-Star roster now uh, who who uh, who doesn't deserve to go that, that Walker is clearly better than because uh, it's just been a very good year for starters in the National League. Yeah, my take on all-star snubs has always just been, yeah, wait, like, because I think that anyone who is an obvious snub on day one winds up being an all-star, uh, usually sooner than later, because there, there are, like you said, there are guys who aren't going to play, guys who, you know, guys who will get injured between now and then who need replacements. There are, you know, the last man votes. It, it just feels like they're, they're always adding so many all-stars after the first round that those obvious snubs generally wind up in i don't know if that means all three of those guys for the mets i would tend to think that stroman for uh having a, a rough one loss slip record which is a silly reason to keep him off but uh for not really having quite the numbers that walker does and uh for not being as effective in the closer role as diaz obviously stroman's not doing any closing uh, i would say like walker is probably next man up on the mets pecking order and then diaz and then stroman I wouldn't be surprised at all if both Walker and Diaz wind up in in Denver. Yeah, we'll we'll see how they decide to construct the pitching staff. You know, if a starter bows out, do they add another reliever at some point? Because uh, you know you're only allowed twelve pitchers for those nine innings. It's very difficult for them to figure out how that works. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I, you know, if Jacob Degrom were not on the initial All Star roster, I can understand you being a little bent out of shape. Uh, but but at this point, I I would probably give Taiwan Walker a better than 50-50 shot of ending up in Denver for that game. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, good. Chris, who is at TPG Mets on Twitter, asks a question that is near and dear to my heart. He says, is heavy investment in the minor leagues, parentheses, salaries, benefits, housing, food, nutrition, offseason support, etc., the massive long-term competitive advantage opportunity that I think it is, or am I off base? Some context for this. Uh, there is a group, uh, Advocates for Minor Leaguers, which has been... Uh, Beating up on the Mets a little bit on Twitter, I think rightfully so. Like they, um, they had it is a it is an advocacy group. The minor leaguers, for for those unaware, and I would assume at this point that most people listening are aware, uh, minor leaguers make very very little money. Uh, guys, some guys in the in the early rounds get big signing bonuses, but uh, for the most part, you know, get, and during the season, it amounts to less than minimum wage what minor leaguers get paid. And then on top of that, they are often responsible for uh, they're finding their own housing and paying for their own food. Or, you know, um, I've spoken to plenty of minor leaguers who said they always prefer life on the road because it means they get a hotel room and a, and a meal stipend, which aren't aren't necessarily guarantees that guys sleep on air mattresses, guys sleep in bathtubs. It's a, um, you know, there's, there's romance to playing minor league baseball, but the realities of it, are brutal and to some extent, and people don't want to hear this word, but they are exploitative. They are taking advantage teams and the league take advantage of young players' dreams. They need these guys. Every time a major leaguer goes and uh, plays a, a double-A game for rehab, he is plying his trade against extraordinarily skilled laborers who make less than minimum wage in the service of a $10 billion in industry. Um, and so, 
uh, you know, what Chris wants to know and is, is uh, will the Mets participate in what is slowly becoming a trend? Uh, and, and I think it's, it's owing to, you know, how much more we now know about, about the minor league lifestyle and about the way minor leaguers have been treated. Um, I mean, another stat is, is that, you know, in the time since free agency in major leagues, uh, when, you know, major league salaries on average have like, you know, exponentially increased, Minor league salaries since then have not even uh, increased to meet inflation. Uh, it's it's a sort of a bleak thing, um, and and so uh, what Chris is referring to, uh, advocates minor leaguers tweeted out a chart showing that the Phillies offer housing stipend for AAA, AA players, uh, a team hotel fully covered for high A players, housing stipend for low A players, and salaried for guys in extended spring training. Uh, it is not standard for guys in extended in extended spring training to get paid because it's spring training and, and minor leaguers don't get paid for spring training. The Mets do not give housing stipends, according to advocates for minor leaguers, to their AAA and AA players. Their team hotel is not fully covered for, for high A players. Um, and Steve Cohen uh, responded to some of this criticism and said, I'm going to look into it, which is not the most satisfying answer. Should he look into that, Tim? And, and when he is finished looking into that, should he... Uh, offer up some of his billions of dollars into uh, operating costs to make life a little easier for the Mets minor leaguers. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot there, and the answer to all of it is basically yes. Uh, the answer, like, is this a massive advantage uh, over the long term to uh, pay your minor leaguers, to care for your minor leaguers, to feed your minor leaguers, to house your minor leaguers? Yes huge advantage like it's it's ridiculous the conditions that some of these guys uh live in in when they're in their home cities and it's it's worse now in particular because some of the the means by which teams got by in the past which is you know four guys to one room or using host families in their home cities uh the because of the pandemic they have not been able to do those types of things i mean you still have uh guys cramming into a room and that room might be the clubhouse uh that they're spending nights in so uh, yes, it's a huge advantage to uh, take care of these players uh, much better than they have in the past. Uh, so much of Major League Baseball's rationale for overhauling the minor leagues was essentially so we could pay them more. You know, it, uh, I don't think many people right, bought right. the idea that they that they couldn't afford to pay the number of minor leaguers there were under the old system. But, oh no, Major uh, League part, Baseball! Like, like put a, put out a cup, you know. Part of the premise of shrinking the minor leagues was that uh, you would at least pay the remaining group of people and house the remaining group of people uh, as uh, adults and citizens. Uh, and they haven't done that uh, yet. Um, and Steve Cohen saying, like, he'll look into it. It shouldn't take that long. Um, you know, uh, this is something, you know, I understand he's a new owner. Uh, it's something that the Mets front office should should have looked into previously. Uh, it's I mean, like, you can give him give him some time in 2021. This is something that should have happened 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Like at any point in the relative, in, in the past, this, this could have happened and, and been viewed as an advantage. Like, is it better for your uh, star, you know, for Ronnie Mauricio and Brett Beatty uh, and those guys in your minor league system to be eating like actual meals instead of peanut butter and jelly three times a day? Yeah, it seems like seems like that would be better for yeah, them. Yeah, they should and have for salmon. Like give long-term. these guys salmon. Yeah, I mean, you're, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what the time frame is from Cohen. It sh- again, shouldn't be that long. Uh, like, it, it shouldn't be that difficult. I am sure there is hotel availability in St. Lucie, Florida in the middle of July uh, and in August. And there is hotel availability uh, in Binghamton, New York at this time of year. Uh, and it's it doesn't take too much. Uh, you know, I've heard rents are down in different areas of New York. You can probably get get some Brooklyn apartments for your, your cyclones uh, with a housing stipend. Uh, so and they should treat minor leaguers better. I, I remember, you know, when I was at the Providence Journal, my, my colleague there, Brian McPherson, had done a whole series of stories about the treatment of minor leaguers and compared it to how minor league hockey players are treated. Mm-hmm. And that minor league hockey players have it have it much better because they have a union. And that's that's the real issue with minor leaguers in baseball is that the Major League uh, Players Association does not cover minor leaguers. Uh, and it's kind of a, a pull the ladder in up after you situation there. Uh, and I would like to see the 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 major league union uh take better care uh and really just think a little bit more and and have more consideration for the minor leaguers uh, who are going through this 
Yeah, it's it's like you said, it's just absolutely crazy that teams have allowed it to go on for so long. And I think that a big part of the reason is that uh, for so long, no team was willing to be the one that like rocks the boat and just treats people decently. So it's like, oh, we, we got to like, you know, all 30 of us are, are all in with keeping these guys making half as much money as as fast food workers. Um, and it's it's I mean, it's despicable, you know, like there's no other there's no other word for it. It's just like we are taking advantage of people who uh, this this is what they do best. And this is what they it's a dream. And look, yeah, it is like an, a tremendous opportunity to play minor league baseball. But um, playing minor league baseball, if you are especially if you are a, a you know kid from the United States, that's your only option for becoming a, a major league baseball player. Um, Matt Perea, a, a former minor league play, player who works with the the advocates for minor league leaguers, a guy I know a little bit, um, said it to me this way. He said like, look, if you if you are trying to make it in Hollywood, and because that's like the type of thing that it often gets compared to, is people say like, oh, it's kind of like an apprenticeship. You know, you have to pay your dues. If you're trying to pay your dues in Hollywood, you can be a waiter at night. You can be a, a PA on a film set. Um, you can try to be an actor. Like there's, there are, there are a million ways you can try to make money. There are a million ways you can, you can find a foot in the door in movie production if that's your thing, if that's your dream. There's one door to to Major League Baseball, and it's minor league baseball, and so. Uh, these teams and the league can just take advantage of the fact that that they have the monopoly on on the pipeline, um, and it's it's self defeating because we know how how valuable it is to have just one minor leaguer. You know, come to fruition and be a good major leaguer is a massively valuable thing for a major league team, and yet they can't just give these guys healthy food twice a day in the minor leagues. I know, like, I, I remember speaking to someone in Savannah, this is years ago, about a player uh, in the Mets system whose development was stalled because he was from overseas, he was trying to send some of his, his tiny pittance of a salary back home, and so every single day he ate a $5 General So special with fried rice for lunch because it was the cheapest, like, big plate of food he could get. And so that guy got fat, and that was his fault, right? And like they, they make it out like, oh, well, this guy eats too much General So's chicken, but what is he so, you know, it's it's crazy. It's, it's such a frustrating thing. Um, and something I've written about a lot myself, like, it's just um it's it's so such a clearly like i said self-defeating thing um with like no real clear motivation behind it except just like pure greed um and so yeah like steve cohen just go pay these guys just uh, you you were worth 10 billion dollars like if you put and it doesn't count, count against your luxury tax so you don't even have to worry about that like if they were if any team for like $15 million, just not much more money than I have and more money than I'm going to invest in minor leaguers, but not more money than the Mets have. For $15 million, you could like wildly overhaul the way your your minor league players live, every single one of them. And, and uh, it's so crazy to me that teams are still resistant to do that. Yeah, I don't even know that it would cost that much. Uh, it, it, you know, it might I was going with the high bar, seven I was, or I, seven or eight million. Uh, oh no, and, I'm and like, feeding everybody. Know, we're going all organic. Everybody's you know grade A meat. We're salmon. Everything. Like I mean, no, that's how it should be, right? Like these guys are professional athletes. I don't want a single guy driving Uber in the off season. I don't want a guy even giving hitting, hitting lessons in the off season. Like I want every single one of my minor leaguers knowing that he can be comfortable for the the entire off season and not have to worry about making money because I. I want him training to be better at baseball and 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 guys can't do that um guys who aren't from money have to make ends meet somehow it's absurd it's a it's a full-time job being a minor league baseball player yeah i mean i, I talked to a, a mets minor league last year a, a pitcher a right-hander uh and he was working a landscaping job uh like during the pandemic basically it's insane. Because, you know they, the guys weren't being paid during during that time if you're in the minor leagues uh and he and like, that guy you know, is one of good... the top that guy is one of the top what like 1,000 in the world at his highly, highly specialized skill that tons and tons of people try and everyone wants to do. 
and he still has to like and like not it's not to knock landscaping work landscaping work is physical you have to bend over you have to pull things you have to lift things you can hurt yourself right and like why would you want to take that risk on behalf of whatever money it would cost the 40 grand a year you'd have to give that guy to just not be a landscaper in the offseason and like he, he he joked at one point, he's like, yeah, like I do some of the more dangerous stuff with my left hand or something. And it's like, yeah, that you've got to protect your your investment, your right arm uh, during your, your secondary job. Uh, yeah. And, and like, you know, one of the reasons it doesn't get as much attention as it could is, you know, the, the people who are really harmed by this are the quote unquote org guys, organizational players who probably, you know, 99 times out of 100 are not going to get to the major leagues, are not going to have a say in how the Players Association views it and how the how the sport as a whole views minor league treatment. They're the ones uh, who don't have the big bonuses, who come in as, as you know, $1,000 bonus or $10,000 bonus out of college or something like that. You know, or guys who are coming, uh, who are international signees, who don't speak the language uh, as, as 18 and 19-year-olds playing in, uh, in A-ball. And those are the people who uh, don't there's not really a, a space for them to advocate for themselves, which is why it's it has been nice over the last several years to see this issue get uh, the attention it deserves. I know I myself uh, probably have not given it enough uh, with my platform uh, and, and hopefully uh, that change you know I, I will do my best to make that uh, change uh, in the near future uh, and and hopefully the Mets and Steve Cohen now aware of the issue uh, uh, rectify it properly. I would like Steve Cohen to make a $15 million investment in Mets minor league life, Mets minor leaguers, uh, living, uh, lifestyles or whatever living expenses. And I would like him to make a $1 million difference in my own living expenses as like a finder's fee. I'm letting him know right now that this will be better for his organization. And for that, I'm consider me a consultant. I would like a million dollars. It's like it's like as much as ten dollars to me is a million dollars to Steve Cohen. I just give it to me. I didn't know you had a McKinsey background. Uh yeah, I do. I uh, analysis or something. Uh, if you have a question for the podcast, as Chris did, please uh, you can you can tweet it at us. Um, I'm at OG Tedberg. Tim is at Tim Britton. You can email me at asktedberg at gmail.com. We appreciate uh, your listening. Please rate, review, subscribe everywhere. We will be back later in the week to discuss the uh, aforementioned Milwaukee Brewers series, perhaps uh, also discuss Taiwan Taiwan Walker's all-star nod. Tim, uh, it has been real. Adios. Peace out. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.